0: Coming up on We Talk News this week, weed tax passes booze tax in Massachusetts. It's not the only state that is seeing this trend. Mississippi gets one step closer to becoming the 37th in the nation to decriminalize cannabis and start a medical program. President Biden's home state of Delaware moves towards legalization while he doesn't move on federal reform. And Groen Belushi is back as Jim Belushi calls for the release of all incarcerated cannabis violators on Seth Meyers' late-night show. Weed Talk News is next. Pro-cannabis media programming and PCM-TV is supported by Revolutionary Clinics, Massachusetts' number one medical dispensary where the patient comes first, and by Salient Systems for Video Surveillance. You've got regulations? Salient has solutions for your security needs. And by Accounting Buds, your number one CPA specialist for the cannabis industry. We are pro cannabis media.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Elena Pinto for Pro Cannabis Media, and welcome to this week's episode of Weed Talk News. If you needed any more convincing that cannabis is here to stay, look no further than Massachusetts. The Bay State has allowed adult use cannabis sales for the past five years, but for the first time, weed is now beating out booze when it comes to bringing in tax revenue. So with a closer look at the dollars pouring in and more from the base state, Ron Marshallsee kicks things off with this week's Massachusetts report.
2: I'm Ron Marshallsee with the Massachusetts Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. State data shows Massachusetts is officially collecting more tax revenue from marijuana than alcohol. As of December 2021, the state took in $51.3 million from alcohol taxes and $74.2 million from cannabis at the halfway point of the fiscal year. The Bay State has seen overall $2.54 billion in adult-use marijuana purchases since November 2018. And according to a report released by the Marijuana Policy Project earlier this month, States that have legalized marijuana have collectively garnered more than $10 billion in cannabis tax revenue since the first license sales started in 2014. Now that the slopes of the Northeast are covered in snow again, some of you may want to get back out and ski, and some will do it with a little bit of cannabis in their system, but obviously not too much. But if you do, the ice water hash-infused edibles that you can pick up at Canna Provisions in the Berkshires pairs well with a day on the slopes. The ice water hash is like your ticket to, an all, to all the good stuff from the plant without any solvents or chemicals used in extraction. Whether you're new to the slopes or a veteran of them, Canna Provisions suggest these to bring a full-body effect with consistent dosing and fantastic flavor. And finally, NECAN will have a special guest delivering the keynote speech at NECAN Boston on Saturday, March 19th. The guest is the father of the legal industry himself, Mr. Steve D'Angelo. Steve D'Angelo is the founder of the Last Prisoner Project and one of the nation's premier cannabis advocates. The 2022 New England Cannabis Convention will be at the Heinz Convention Center from March 18th to the 22nd. That's this week's Massachusetts Cannabis Report. For Weed Talk News... I'm Ron Marshallsee.
1: President Joe Biden continues to get ripped by cannabis advocates for not living up to his promises on reforming policy. Meanwhile, his home state of Delaware is now looking likely to legalize the plant before he does. Delaware's House Health and Human Development Committee has voted in favor of a bill that would legalize cannabis for adults 21 and older. The committee approved a similar measure last year but it ultimately stalled ahead of an expected floor vote due to disagreements over social equity provisions. But it looks like the proposal has been tweaked and strengthened and will now be considered by Delaware's legislative bodies. Staying in the Northeast for now, Jesse Lindolin has this week's
3: Vermont Report. This is the Weed Talk News Vermont Report. Vermont's cannabis control board is wrapping up its work on rules one and two for adult use sales and moving on to rules three and four with a particular focus on accessibility for small cultivators and removing many of their restrictive mandates. They started facilitating bi-weekly peer-to-peer networking sessions for social equity and economic empowerment applicants with the first topic on building relationships with local government, navigating permitting process, and key elements to a successful business plan. They're also looking at fee proposals for licenses yet to be decided by the legislator, such as on site consumption lounges, delivery, and special events. A new advocacy group called the Green Mountain Patients Alliance has sparked. GMPA is a group of Vermont cannabis patients, caregivers, and healthcare professionals advocating for fair and equitable access to clean and affordable cannabis. For medical use. Founded by Jeffrey of Vermont Growers Association, Amelia, Patient Advocate, and myself with the Vermont Cannabis Nurses Association, Activate is a virtual series dedicated to giving updates on the medical program and spotlighting local patients, caregivers, and cannabis health care professionals. GMPA is hosting the first episode of its monthly Zoom series, Activate, on Monday, January 31st at 7 to wrap up 2021 by discussing their successes, compromises, and what's coming up in cannabis legislation for 2022. A special election in the town of Ludlow ended in a second rejection of retail cannabis. The vote against retail echoed an earlier November vote, which also ended in defeat. To date, more than 30 Vermont cities and towns have opted to allow cannabis dispensaries within their limits, and the March 1st town meeting day vote will have a significant impact on the face of retail cannabis sales in the state. Cannabis Control Board member Julie Holbird recently told Hetty Vermont that Vermont's cannabis law prohibits cities and towns from creating special conditions or rules for cannabis businesses, or using their zoning or ordinance power, I quote, in a way that will have the effect of prohibiting the operation of cannabis establishments. COVID-19 conspiracy theorist and Vermont state candidate Kerry Raheb has been making the news in Massachusetts by trying to open a retail cannabis business in the town of Adams, where he proposes to give the money to the police, fire departments, and the community development office in the first year of operation. He also says that if elected to Vermont Senator Patrick Leahy's vacated seat, he'll give $250,000 of his salaries back to Vermonters, though he doesn't say how he plans to do that. That's the Vermont Report for Weed Talk News. on Vermont's cannabis nurse, Jessie Lynn Dolan. Pot-smoking politicians may just be the new normal. On
1: the heels of Louisiana candidate Gary Chambers' campaign ad drop, you know, the one where he's smoking that giant blunt in a field. Well, a new survey from YouGov surveyed about 4,100 adults, and 58% of them said they would be willing to vote for a candidate who they agree with on most issues and who occasionally smokes marijuana in their free time. So cannabis now creeping into the congressional halls. Yet another example of how it's here to stay. Now let's head over to Washington, D.C. and check in with Vote Pro Podcast's Phil Adams.
4: Hi, this is Phil Adams from Vote Pro Podcast here with the Weed Talk News D.C. report. Amazon is backing a Republican bill to end the federal prohibition of cannabis. The online retail giant this week announced its endorsement of the State's Reform Act as an alternative to the more comprehensive Democrat-led legalization bills and a more restrictive GOP rescheduling proposal. The State's Reform Act would re- would deschedule cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act, expunge prior marijuana convictions and impose a 3% federal excise tax On cannabis products. Last June, Amazon ended its policy of marijuana drug screening for many of its employees and began actively lobbying Congress to end cannabis prohibition. The company has already endorsed the MORE Act introduced in the House and its Senate counterpart, the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act. The state's Reform Act was introduced last November by Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace of South Carolina. A new poll finds that a majority of Americans would vote for a candidate who smokes marijuana. The YouGov survey, which comes in the wake of a campaign ad showing Senate candidate Kerry Chambers smoking a blunt, involved interviews with more than 4,000 U.S. adults. It found that 58% of Americans overall would be willing to vote for a candidate with whom they agree on most issues who occasionally smokes marijuana in their free time. This includes 47% of Republicans, 68% of Democrats, and 62% of Independents. Federal financial regulator Rodney Hood says financial institutions should prepare now for what he sees as a, quote, bright future for the cannabis industry. Hood's comments were made in an interview at the PBC conference last fall. In the interview, which was released this week, the National Credit Union Administration board member said that while he believes federal legalization is inevitable, the cannabis industry in the meantime remains underserved by the financial services sector. Hood also spoke about what he calls the prohibition mindset that continues to make banks and credit unions skittish about serving the legal cannabis industry and called on Congress to pass legislation protecting institutions that serve cannabis businesses. That's the Weed Talk News DC report for this week. I'm Phil Adams from Vote Pro Podcast.
1: Actor and cannabis entrepreneur Jim Belushi used an appearance on Late Night with Seth Myers this week to not only promote his new grow show, but also to call out all that's still wrong about cannabis incarceration. While talking about his new Discovery show, Growing Belushi, a show about the actor's cannabis farm in Southern Oregon, he took a stance for farmers and those who are currently behind bars for cannabis, who he called pioneers of the industry.
5: Hey, uh, I want to talk about some of your uh, charitable work, and I know we discussed this last time, but the Last Prisoner Project is something you're involved with. that is actually, especially now that we're living in a world where we do have, you know, a legal... You know, marijuana farms. Uh, farmers like yourself, you're talking about, it. it's just agriculture now, but we have so many people who are still in prison for their marijuana. Yeah. Use.
6: Well, they were the pioneers for the cannabis industry. They, they're they the ones that took the arrows. They're the ones that went to jail for a nonviolent cannabis crimes. Whether they had, you know, an ounce or three pounds on them, they were trying to make a living for their family. And when they get thrown into prison, it collapses that family, creates more trauma. There are 40,000 men and women incarcerated right now for nonviolent cannabis crime. So the last prisoner project it was Steve D'Angelo and Mary Bailey. We are writing letters to states. We've gotten a lot of people out. We got uh, Richard DeLuci out of Florida. He was in jail for 32 years, the longest cannabis, uh, you know, guy incarcerated and, uh, He's free. And so it's happening. It's happening. The state's attorneys are the people that we're really trying to hit. And it's, it's moving along, but it never stops. So if you want to write or donate the Last Prisoners Project, it'll be a good thing to do for your community and help these families come back together.
7: You
1: can catch more Belushi in the second season of his show Wednesday Nights on Discovery. While the legal bud industry seems to be booming in the Midwest, there's now a back and forth battle brewing over unionization in dispensaries. Shops in Ohio, Illinois, and Missouri all have seen instances of votes to unionize dispensary employees, but it seems some are now backing out. While some in Ohio blame vote delays on the Postal Service, other shops in Missouri who plan to unionize are staying mum on why they've changed their minds or delayed a vote. With more happening in the Show Me State this week, let's check in with Brandon Jones for this week's Missouri Report.
8: Hey everybody, it's Brandon Jones again from Distribution Maven with the Missouri Cannabis Report for We Talk News. And yeah, we thought unionization was coming on pretty quickly here in Missouri and then all of a sudden a big pause. So I will put uh, some research in for for next week and uh, ask the back channels and see what I can come up with with why this was paused so quickly and why nobody's talking about it. My first story today comes out of Marijuana Moment. It's talking about the legalization makes differing approaches to expungement. And that's kind of what I want to focus on today is just the three differences uh, between the uh, expungement cases. So for legal Missouri, they want to be on a timeline where misdemeanors are done first and then uh, the harder cases would be done, you know, obviously in a timeline. The biggest thing there is anybody over three pounds would not get expungement and would not be released. So that's a pretty serious thing that you know would not be letting those people out. For um, Fair Access Missouri, they would actually make every single person file a petition and pay a hundred dollar fee to get expungement. And finally, Cannabis uh, Patient Network would require that after sixty days of passing, that everyone would receive, require expungement. So three big differences. Legal Missouri on the timeline, fair access Missouri would be uh, everyone have to have their own petition and pay a $100 fee. And then finally came at this patient network, everyone would get expungement after 60 days. My second day, second story today is talking about a reversing decision here in Missouri on a license uh, inquiry. So if you knew, knew quite a bit of uh, issues happened uh, in 2019 when people were trying to acquire their license, But here, uh, NWGMO actually submitted two identical cases to see if they could get approval and they bought completely different scores turned back in. So under this, they sort of served this back in and finally this got overturned here in December. So if you have an airtight case, you can turn it in. They are overturning some cases. It's only the fourth here in Missouri, but it is happening. So make sure you're doing your due diligence and see if you can get your licenses approved. Again, this is Brandon Jones from Distribution Maven with the Missouri Candace Report for We Talk News. Have a great weekend, everybody.
1: We recently reported an uptick of calls to poison control centers in Illinois, mainly due to edibles. Well, this is proving to possibly set a dangerous precedent for the industry. One Illinois lawmaker has introduced a new bill that would limit the amount of THC allowed in legal pot products, capping flour at just 10 percent thc and concentrates at 15. thomas howard takes a closer look at what's happening in illinois this week thomas
9: hi i'm tom howard with weed talk news here to give you an update on what happened in illinois weed last week well there was a hearing on that large case that's holding up 185 dispensaries and it looks like maybe by may That case might be over. There's a hearing and a deadline on April 29th for the state to start turning over certain amounts of, um, you know, administrative review record. But there's also a uh, plan for them to start settlement negotiations if that gets anywhere. If not, there's going to be another hearing in about a month, and there are some responses due uh, by the state next month as well that have to be put on file. However, it is movement, and so those 185 dispensaries will be here one day, hopefully in 2022. Also, uh, the legislature is back in session, and there's been a bill to Uh, limit the amount of THC in cannabis. A Republican legislature from Plainfield uh, introduced a bill to cap THC levels on cannabis flower at 10 percent. However, it's not all bad news. There was just a bill introduced that would allow for home grow for average people that are above 21, not just medical patients. And also there was a bill that was just introduced today that has a outdoor cultivation allowance. They're going to change the definition of where your canopy can be to include outdoor, which is scary if you consider that a craft grows maximum canopy space is 14,000 square foot and a larger MSOs or a cultivation centers canopy space is 210,000 square feet. So the uh, crop tober might just shatter all the prices and then who knows what that'll do to the industry that is in the state if that bill passes. It may also uh, behoove you to understand that uh, Currelief's counterclaim suit against uh, former subsidiary CMO has been allowed to progress. And both parties get into potentially embarrassing discovery because discovery potentially can be embarrassing depending on what facts are in that record. Uh, that's one of the reasons why motions to, to, motions to dismiss are one of the first things that are filed In courts, if the person even like accepts service, uh, this is a lawsuit by a former CMO that's the chief marketing officer for the Chicago-based Grassroots Cannabis, and they're suing Curaleaf, which purchased Grassroots in 2020, for breach of contracts because Liz Hurwitz, the former CMO, charges uh, that she did not receive the promised level of compensation as executives received when Grassroots was purchased by Curaleaf. Sometimes you have to enforce those contracts that are very sophisticated in this cannabis industry in a court of law. It happens quite often. Uh, there'd be a lot more cause for me to be in court. If 185 dispensaries were not held up in court right now. Anyway, uh, my name is Tom. You can find me at CannabisIndustryLawyer.com or on YouTube at Cannabis Legalization News.
1: While advocates in Florida push for adult use access and sales to cannabis, the state's governor is getting some smoke blown his way for comments he made about why he may be against legalization. At a campaign event this week, Ron DeSantis avoided directly answering why he doesn't want the plant legalized for adults, but he did say he hated the, quote, putrid stench around places that allow public consumption. Maybe someone can let the governor know there are other ways to consume the plant besides smoking. But with that, let's check in with Heather Allman for more from
7: the Sunshine State. Thank you, Elena. I'm Heather Allman from Cannabis Law Report. With this week's Florida report for Weed Talk News. Five years into medical cannabis legalization, and according to Sergeant Brandon Finley of the Okaloosa County Sheriff's Office Drug Force, black market sales of marijuana have not slowed down due to price. While patients pay an average of $15 a gram at legal dispensaries, the illicit price tag runs lower. Many consumers are simply in search of cheaper weed, but turning to the black market comes with higher risk because there's no lab testing, obviously, you get what you get. There is a bill that lawmakers are looking at this session that addresses the oppressive costs of cannabis, and in this effort might finally put a damper on illegal sales. And speaking of sales, while we've pivoted to 2024 for full legalization here in Florida, headset released a report on the current state of U.S. cannabis legislation. With active bills and new markets coming online, they projected that legal cannabis sales could reach $46 billion by 2025. Despite having a medical-only program and a handful of operators, Florida has a population of adults that are age 21 and older that exceeds 16 million, and our sales are expected to reach $3.2 billion annually by 2025. This will make Florida the second largest in cannabis sales, only to California as number one. In hot pursuit of a larger piece of this Florida market is Cureleaf, who has quickly expanded their retail and cultivation footprint in the state, making significant gains in the last year by doubling their market share and bringing additional dispensaries online, including two in the last week alone. Cureleaf president Matt Darren promises continued growth and expansion this year along with new innovative products. That's a wrap for Florida Cannabis this week. I'm Heather Allman from Cannabis Law Report for Weed Talk News.
1: A new report says cannabis companies in Pennsylvania are being sidelined in the state's legal game. The report from a Cantor Fitzgerald analyst found publicly traded and private MSOs now control 83% of medical marijuana stores in Pennsylvania, pushing the little guy largely to the side for now. With more happening in Pennsylvania this week, here's Claudia Post.
10: Claudia Post from Scarlet Express, and I'm right here in the Keystone State, Pennsylvania, reporting for We Talk News. First up, Norman Yoder, of course a name you would all know, a 1960s state commissioner for the blind, claimed half a dozen Pennsylvania college students took LSD and stared at the sun And were completely blind after that experience. And guess what? The newspapers believed him. This is what happened to all this. Anyway, he made a story. He made up this story because he thought it would scare others from taking LSD. The governor launched an investigation and found out that was a hoax. However, a PA state senator decided against all evidence to embrace the story and push it as truth. It's almost unbelievable. It was a perfect moral panic story to sell folks on being scared of psychedelic drugs and counterculture hippie people. Today, of course, psychedelics are being becoming more and more mainstream. It's now common for them to be used in therapy sessions, and acceptance is growing around microdosing to deal with everyday life and everyday life needs dealing with at this point. In Philly, the Sound Mind Center and Philadelphia Psychedelic Society each have hundreds of people on their waiting lists. Cannabis consumers seeking employment opportunities can now narrow the hunt thanks to a new search engine created by Damian Jordan, a Philadelphia entrepreneur the name of the search engine is finally and what is this research and resource going to help our cannabis brothers and sisters it's going to help them in their job search because it will list and for it will list companies that are accepting and will not drug screen for onboarding purposes that's really progress damian said We wanna match people with transparent employers who have transitioned out of old school policies and who know the future, of course, is legalization. And next up, I'm happy to report that the home grow bill has been presented finally. Lots of discussion, it's finally been presented. It will allow patients here in Pennsylvania who are 21 or older and who have lived in the state for at least 30 days to purchase seeds from dispensaries and plant six plants in a very secure, locked space in their residence. Tremendous progress for home growth. So that's a wrap for this week for our Pennsylvania Cannabis Report. I'm Claudia Post from Scarlet Express, and I'll be back next week to talk about what's hot, what's not in Pennsylvania, So from Week Talk News, have a great week.
1: A bad batch of bud is prompting a massive recall on California shelves. The California Department of Cannabis Control says headbanger flour sold by Claiborne Company between November and now is contaminated with black mold. Now they're asking customers to double check their packages of pot and throw out anything produced from the bad batch. Christopher Smith takes a closer look at what else is happening in this week's California report.
11: Thanks for the nice intro. Here's the fourth California Roundup for 2022 for Weed Talk News. It's almost February, which means the Sisters of the Valley are at it again. You may have heard of the hemp-bearing nuns from California's Central Valley, and between February and March this year, they will be mailing approximately 13,000 high-CBD hemp seeds to 1,000 of their customers as a thank you. Sister Quinn says, "We have a strong calling to be the Johnny Appleseed of the hemp industry and share our seeds. If we could sell them, we could make a million dollars, but the seeds were a gift to us from the goddess, and we need to re-gift them to the people." Now in California, generosity like this is very normal. The Shangri-la Care Center, a longtime Southern California business, has lost a years-long legal battle to be reimbursed by its home county for what it contends were improper raids that confiscated and destroyed $75 million worth of cannabis in 2015 and 16. Some of the product was returned four years later, but of course by then it was ruined. The company didn't file for damages until 2020 and the judge said, too late, hope their lawyers have insurance. Otherwise, Shangri-La is completely SOL. One of the major disasters of the California regulatory mess is provisional licensing, which are the business version of tricycles when other states are riding big boy bikes. As of July 1st, provisional licensing will be replaced with a new problem that will limit access by cannabis entrepreneurs. They will only be able to obtain an annual state license, a process that could take months, if not years, before operations can commence. Or they can buy an existing licensed company, which is a speedier prospect that could boost merger and acquisition activity, but either way, the little guy gets screwed. A recent expose by the LA Times found that California has still not cleared 34,000 convictions as it was required to do under Prop 64. A public defender said, For decades, the justice system quickly and enthusiastically destroyed the lives of men, women, and children accused of nonviolent marijuana offenses and, by the way, disproportionately harmed people of color while doing so. A, A bill submitted by Representative Mia Bonta and sponsored by The Last Prisoner Project, quote, simply requires the system to act with a similar enthusiasm and speed when giving the formerly convicted back their lives. And I'm Christopher Smith, publisher of the American Cannabis Report, sharing California surf, sunshine, smoke, and sisters of the valley for Weed Talk News.
1: The problem of pot shop robberies only seems to be getting worse in Washington state. One local advocate says he tracked at least 30 violent robberies since November and many say the state's cannabis board isn't doing enough to protect business owners. So let's take a closer look at what's happening this week in Washington State. Here's Josh Kincaid.
5: I'm Josh Kincaid from The Talking Hedge with the Washington State Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. While Washington has one of the nation's most mature cannabis industries, the state's Liquor and Cannabis Board employs a gotcha culture. A follow-up from our report two weeks ago that licensed businesses in Washington state, particularly processing and retail operations, are expressing concerns that burdensome taxes and state regulations are hindering their ability to scale up due to a nationwide high excise tax of 37%. Washington state marks this 10 year milestone, and yet reforms are needed to address issues such as a high tax and a gotcha regulatory scheme, as well as a shortfall in minority participation. The regulatory hostility can be seen with the state's regulators cracking down on minor matters and penalizing cannabis operators more than their liquor and tobacco industry counterparts. A study was conducted last year and calculated the economic impact of adult use cannabis, totaling $2.7 billion in revenue and over 18,000 jobs in the state. Yet companies still face a funding squeeze. More needs to be done to make sure the state's cannabis industry is more competitive if and when the federal government legalizes cannabis. Despite that growth, the program's challenges impact the industry, such as Washington State struggling to adopt a model that embraces greater minority participation. Next week, you're gonna find out about Washington State's arrest protection bill. But with that, we're gonna have to roll up this Washington State Cannabis Report. I'm Josh Kincaid from The Talking Hedge reporting for Weed Talk News. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.
1: Cannabis-infused wines are set to hit the shelves of shops in Michigan. House of Saka, which makes alcohol-free, cannabis-infused wines, announced a new partnership with CarbideX LLC, Michigan, which will allow the beverages to be manufactured, distributed, and sold throughout the Wolverine State. And with that, let's check in with Michigan Normal Executive Director Rick Thompson for this week's Michigan Report.
12: Hello again, everyone. This is the Michigan Report with Rick Thompson on Weed Talk News. Let's begin. Well, a lot of things happened after the MI Legalized Coalition passed the Adult Use Cannabis Bill in 2018. With the help of Marijuana Policy Project and Normal of Michigan, our citizen-directed initiative collected more than enough signatures and grabbed a 56% vote in November of 2018. Almost immediately after our success, the Republican legislature rushed through a bill changing the rules which governed partitioning. It passed and was signed by the governor within two months of our success at the ballot box. Now, those changes included a geographic requirement that no more than 15% of signatures could originate from a single county, and that petition signature collectors had to register with the state before the clipboard could hit the streets. Now, those are unconstitutional provisions, the Michigan Supreme Court said in a ruling this week, and of course, we all said that at the time the bill was passed. The two other petition drives successfully made the ballot in 2018, including the redistricting proposal and the voters' rights laws. Now, this Supreme Court decision is a win for the people and the citizens' directed initiative process. Now, here's news you can use from the Upper Peninsula. Forsyth's Planning Commission unanimously approved a new cannabis medical and adult use retailer called the Baker-Curtis Cannabis Company. On its own, this doesn't seem to be big news, and the planning commission isn't the final say on if a license is issued or not, but there is something noteworthy about this business. The building they'll be housed in is the former location of a family dollar store and a business called the Art of Massage. Hey, Baker Curtis, if you can figure out a way to incorporate all three business models together, you'll have a retail store I'd travel across the bridge to visit. Just saying. Oh, those people at the addiction center, they're trying to scare Americans about cannabis again. Now, this time it's about children getting their hands on marijuana edibles. The scare center claims incidents of children accessing cannabis rose to 3,000 recorded episodes in 2020. Now, they admit there's never been a death recorded from youth consumption of cannabis products. And in only 15% of those incidents, did the exposure rise to the level of moderate exposure and the most at-risk group of children were those from three to five years of age. Now, symptoms of moderate exposure include agitation and drowsiness. A scare center, this perfectly describes all kids from three to five years of age. Try finding a three-year-old who isn't agitated by something their siblings do and who doesn't get drowsy every time they get put in a car seat. Now, The Scare Center suggests better labeling to keep kids away from cannabis products. I hate to break it to you, but kids at three years old can't read. I think the scare tactics are the real addiction of issue here. Now, maybe we should put a warning label on you, Addiction Center. And Michigan State University is continuing their research into cannabinoid treatments for COVID-19, according to a new report appearing at Cannabis Business Times. Now, the study is being performed in conjunction with GB Sciences, and it'll analyze the ability of cannabinoids to dampen viral hyperinflammatory responses. Now, these cellular responses are similar to what happens in cells during a COVID-19 infection. The goal is to put cannabis-based medicine at the site of an inflammatory response. This is a follow-up to last year's study from the same research team into the use of cannabinoids to halt the destructive bodily response, known as a cytokine storm. And that's it for the Michigan Report with Rick Thompson on Weed Talk News.
1: Overseas in Asia, Thailand continues to make waves with weed. This week, the country's narcotics board said it would remove cannabis from its official drug list, paving the way for people in Thailand to grow the plant themselves. Under the new rule, folks can grow plants at home after notifying the local government. It just can't be used for any commercial purposes without further licensing. And with more from the wide world of weed overseas, Stephen Arthur-George has this week's European Report.
13: I'm Stephen Arthur-George from Chi Advisors in Lisbon, Portugal. This is the European Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. As January comes to a close... The European cannabis market is gaining momentum. In the past six months, three European countries have made changes to cannabis regulations at an adult use level, Malta and Luxembourg being the first two countries, which now both allow the cultivation of cannabis at home. Germany was the biggest news of the last six months, where the new coalition government recently stated that they would move forward with the regulation of adult-use cannabis. Down south in France, patients now have access to new medical cannabis products. Panaxia and Neuroxiform announced the first export of some legal tablets to France. These will be available to some of the 3,000 patients in the ongoing medical cannabis Trial. If successful, there's said to be anywhere from 300 to 700,000 eligible patients in France. Also in France, the higher court removes the ban on CBD flowers. Less than a month after banning CBD flower sales, the ban has been removed. The French higher court removed the ban on Monday saying it was disproportionate it is unclear what action will be taken next but for now cbd flowers are again okay to be sold in france that's the european cannabis report i'm stephen arthur george from kai advisors reporting for weed talk news
1: and finally the dog days of prohibition are over in montana as the state works to incorporate legal weed into everyday life, law enforcement agencies are looking down new paths for canines trained to sniff out weed. While new canines will not be trained to sniff out cannabis at all, there are some pups certainly on the force who know no other way of duty. So for now, they may occasionally go sniffing for the plant in places it's not allowed, like the county jail, and otherwise, they'll get to enjoy an early retirement until law agencies figure out the best way to retrain those snouts. It's certainly a whole new world of weed out there for us and the dogs, and remember to use it wisely. For now, I'm Elena Pinto for Pro Cannabis Media and Weed Talk News. We'll see you next week.